All right, Parsha's Veira, Shmos Veira, beautiful. So we get to uh, this week's Parsha, we begin the Makos. Hashem's going to instruct Moshe and Aaron to come to Paro. And when we put the story in context, Moshe's walking now up to the man who was his father for the first 17 years of his life. It's a fascinating context. Uh, Paro raised him, that's what it was, and... Um, Moshe is now going to come as a messenger from Hashem to tell the man who raised him that God is insistent, that these millions of people who now have been in servitude to you are no longer going to be in servitude to you. And now we're going to my people, my people, Moshe is telling him, this is not, I'm not part of you. I'm separate. And he's going to talk to Par with tremendous, uh, tremendous respect. As we're going to see a lot of firmness, but a lot, a lot of, a lot of respect, and we'll bring out a lot of very important midos that the Torah is teaching me through their encounter. So vayidaber elokim Moshe, and Hashem spoke vayidaber elokim. Elokim is God's name, um, which represents judgment. It represents din. Okay, so elokim, God's judgment, spoke to Moshe. Vayomer elov, and he said to Moshe, Ani Hashem. I am Yudke Vavke. I am God's name of Rachamim. So God spoke to him with a very harsh, judgmental uh, presence. And he says, You should know, I am Hashem. Now, why is Hashem speaking with Moshe harshly? So we're to find a fascinating idea. It says Rashi, Al Imo, because Moshe spoke negatively about the people. Moshe said, you know, they're that uh, you know they're they're not going to listen, and you're harming them. He tells God, and and Hakadosh Baruch Hu Elokim is speaking to Moshe. What's fascinating about this is that Moshe had to hear this to become a leader. That his job is not to speak negatively and judge Klal Yisrael, and he never does it again. You're not going to find it again. It's incredible. This is Hashem's telling, he's stepping up to his, to, to, to his position now. And God's telling us, don't do it. And Moshe doesn't. We're gonna, as, we keep, as we go through, till the, you know, till um, Moshe ultimately passes away, this is the time, it's this initial conversation that he's still held accountable for, but we don't find that he was going to go back to this place of viewing Klal Yisrael in a negative form. He might say, like he says, you know, these people are giving me a difficult time. Right? We find that certainly, but he's you know. But that's that's complaining about the position and what he has to do in that sense. Previously, he says they're not going to believe. I can believe, and God says if if you think that that they don't believe, then you're not the man for the position. But you are the man for the position, and therefore you're forced to believe in the people. And therefore, he, Elohim speaks to Moshe. He says, Moshe, you're the man with the job. And now, don't you ever do that again. Can't happen. That's, it can't happen. And I appeared to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov in, in uh, the place called El Shaddai, the name of the place. But this name of Hashem, I did not become known to them. Now, which name of Hashem? We're talking about the... the the name of God of follow through. Now it's interesting that God's got names. I don't know. I haven't really fully studied what the 
importance of Hashem's name is. We brought this up previously. Uh, very often in in uh, tefillah, we say uh, most most commonly we say uh, you know Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. We've discussed that. Blessed is He. Blessed is His name. Um, uh, at the end of Aleinu, Hashem Echad, Ushmo Echad, God is one, His name is one. What, God, what's, what's with the names? So different names represent different kohos, different strengths that HaKadosh Baruch Hu deals, uh, you know, uh, deals with us through. So the name that Hashem is telling Moshe that the forefathers didn't know was Ushmi Hashem Lo'inadati Lehem. What does that mean? This name of Hashem, my name Hashem, I did not, uh, I did not become known. Because until this, the name of Hashem is the follow-through. Until now, it's been all promises. And Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov believed Hashem. When Hashem said, oh, there's going to be a nation, I'll make a great people, there's going to be servants in Egypt, they come a million percent. But there's an element to Hashem, which is the follow-through. So now, now that was all the promise. Now what about, it's actually going to happen? I'm actually going to take the people out of Egypt? So Hashem says, you should know, there's going to be my name, my name of Yudke Vavke, they never were able to experience. I never showed it to them. I never showed them this experience because they, they're not alive anymore. And now I'm going to make this name of myself known. The Gama Kimosi as Brisi Itam. And I also established my bris with them, to give them the land of Kanaan, the land that they traveled through. Now, it's interesting how referring to the land of Canaan as a land that they traveled through, which is say that the land that they that they um, dwelled in. There's a fascinating, uh, it's actually a, a very important medrash. The medrash tells us that <clears throat> when Hashem was choosing a land for Avram, you think, why, why Israel? Why Israel? So, okay, so we know there's, Adam and Chava were made from that place. So we know there's background depth to why why Israel is the Eretz HaKodesh, is the Holy Land. But Hashem, the, the Medrash says that Avram asked Hashem for this land specifically. He wanted the land that he wanted this land. And Avram explains the reason why I want this land. The Medrash says because the, he, as he walked around the land, he saw the people working in their proper season. They were harvesting in the harvest season. They were planting in the planting season. They were weeding in the weeding season. Interesting measures. And he went to, you know, in the other lands that he walked through, they didn't have that. Didn't have that. The measures is telling us is that there's something very um, important about doing the right thing at the right time. And a land and a society that functions properly. You can have th- lands and functions that, that societies that function in a way where they can make big splashes and it could be nice and do the right thing. Avram was, Im- was impressed with the land, so to speak. There's something that he wanted about this is that it was... I'm, I'm having a tough time articulating this. It was like the land was doing the right thing at the right time, which is the way Hashem set it up. The way Hashem set it up. Kaviyochol, it's not the exact same thing, but you know, 
listen, we live in a world where it's, it, you know, the engineering that we have is incredible and the, there, there's so many incredible advances. Yet there's something very therapeutic about going out into an unpaved world. God didn't make the world with paved roads. It doesn't mean he doesn't want the, road, the world to be paved. That's why I make sure I'm articulating this well. Hashem wants whatever, you know, to, to build up. If you, if you ever have the merit to go out into a forest that's been there since my Bereshis, to go out to a desert that's been there since my Bereshis, to look at the oceans that have so vast and impossible to tamper with, there's something so overpowering about being in an environment that functions within Hashem's will and is like untampered. It's untampered. And that includes seasons that Hashem made, that includes the way Hashem made the world. So Hashem wants us to use the world in the way that it's, that it's meant to be used. And Avram, when he saw the people of Canaan and the land of Canaan functioning in this way, he was walking, this, this has to do with uh, Avram traveled all around like various lands and outskirts and it was all in this area. But he asked specifically, he traveled around and traveled through this area. The God's still talking to Moshe. Okay, I'm just going to go through this whole conversation. And Hashem, Hashem says, I also heard the groans. We'll discuss when I also, also what the, when you say also, that means I hear different groans too. Who, who else is crying? It says, I also heard the crying of B'nai Yisrael and, and what other cries? What other cries are there existing? Okay. Why are they crying out? Because the Egyptians are enslaving them. And I'm remembering my bris. Therefore, Go to the Bnei Yisrael and tell them, and these are the four expressions of the redemption that we have at the Pesach Seder, right? The four cups. I'll take them out of Egypt. For being underneath the, being civil. We'll discuss what that means in English. They translate an article as burdens. There's a better translation, but it's not in the English language. But it's, it's, it's to be civil something. To be civil something is when you start hearing about it, and you start experiencing it, you start, it becomes your reality. Hashem's telling Moshe, I'm going to take them out from the experiences that have become the norm in Egypt. It's not just a physical removal, it is a whole, it's, it's a whole removal. The Egypt needs to get out of us. The Gaalti has come and I'll redeem them with tremendous judgments, referring to the plagues. Not only will I remove all that, but I'm going to take them to me as a people. And I will be, we'll have this special relationship. Now is the fifth expression, which is what we refer to as the cup of Elio. Okay, I'll bring you in. I'm going to give it to you as a heritage, not an inheritance. We'll touch, touch on that as well. Moshe does this, but they didn't listen to Moshe. Why not? Which we'll translate in our terms because they were busy surfing the internet. Okay? <laughs> that's what it is. That, no, but that's the same thing. Kodzirach means we didn't have time to think. That's it. We're working too hard to think. So you're surfing the internet, whether you're working 24 hours a day. We, we couldn't think. And when you can't think and you don't have an expansive mind, you're not, you, you, you're not going to listen. You're not going to. Uh, I just experienced it this morning. Baruch Hashem. It comes about through brachas. But when you're, 
when there, there's things happening, huh? so you might have a little four-year-old pulling on your pants. You tell the four-year-old, I, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait till Tati's ready. It's going to be about 20 minutes. Wait for Tati to be ready. And, and uh, you know, and then I could get you your fifth cup of uh, slush. Right? But right now, like, I already got you four, and now it's time for Tati to, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. Okay, that's true. Why, oh, uh, because you need to have the ability to think, to think beyond. Fine. So we couldn't think because, fine. And now the next part, uh, Maishu Ben is going to show up to, to Paro. Fine. So let's go through this conversation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has with Maisha. So Hashem spoke to Moshe harshly. We discussed why Hashem spoke to, spoke to Maishu Ben harshly. Because he's telling him, listen, you need to view Klal Yisrael with a, with a, um, a uh, more positive perspective as their leader. And, I'm, and I established my bris with Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that I'm going to give them this land. And I heard the groans, and I also heard the groans of Yisrael, so we explained, what do you mean also? So the, the Chassam Seifer says something incredible. We'll answer this question. And he says that, what do you mean also the groans? He says there was a previous groan, and that is the groans that the Jews had for each other, the Jewish Krechts. When we were working together underneath the Mitzrim, uh, the, the, the whipping, so since we cried out for each other, Hashem says, I could cry, I'm, I'm going to answer their, their, their groans now. That's what Hashem says, says, the gam, and I also hear the groans, what were the groans? He says, well, says, there were groans that Yidin had, to, had on behalf of each other, and since there were Yidin who were there, they cared enough to answer each other's groans and to help out. Yeah, okay, I'll help you out. Take care of this. So that's what's leading me, Hashem says, to at this juncture, at this point, uh, you know, bring about the geula. And therefore, go ahead and tell them, I'm going to take them mitachas civilized mitzvah. I'm going to take them from, from being under the, the burdens, which we explained the experiences. And we, have to, we had to rid ourselves from looking at ourselves like slaves. It's not enough. As anybody knows, a person's incarcerated or a person has been, uh, there, there's been abuse, there's been uh, any, an, an element of trauma somewhere. You can't just say, okay, now the trauma stopped and everything's fine. Not true. Very often it's the opposite. Now that, that, now that there's a whole new reality and experience that they need to live, now's where there needs to be a lot of involvement to help follow through and, 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 uh, and the healing process. So Kodesh Baruch who's in this word is going through this psychology and it's incredible as you go through each element of Torah, the, the, you know, the, 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 the focus on the, the mental health and the background psychology that goes into the actions of a Yid and the healthy and robust uh, mindset that we need to have in our relationship with Kodesh Baruch Hashem says, I'm not, I'm not just going to physically take you out, I'm going to take you out mitachas sivleis mitzrayim. Psychologically, I'm going to help you be, get Egypt out of you. I'm going to help you move on from this traumatic, uh, this traumatic situations. So I will take you out. I will remove the, I will, I'm sorry, I will stop the pain. I will take you out, take you for a people, and ultimately bring you into Eretz Yisrael. So there's a, there's a medrash called Psikta Zutrusa which says that the four expressions of redemption that we're mentioning over here, I will take you out, I will save you, I will redeem you, and I will take you. And then the fifth one, 
um, is referring to the merit of the four things that Klal Yisrael didn't change. There were four things that were known for, that we stuck to our guns about. Number one is that we, uh, we didn't change our tongue. We made sure that the way that we spoke was in the holy tongue. And what's unique about speaking in Lashon Kodesh, ready? I never thought about this till recently. There's no bad words. <laughs> Think about it. There's, there's no bad words. Nothing. If you only speak biblical Hebrew, you can't speak. You can't speak bad words. What bad word are you going to say? Ra? <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> bad? Like, uh, you're so ra. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, you can't say you push. You can't say speak. Speak Russian Kaidish. You get it. And then how bad could it be? <laughs> What's the worst thing going to say? Huh? They, they got to move on to English words for that. Yeah, yeah. got to move on to English words for that. But it's um, one thing we didn't change our Russian. And there's something very powerful about that. You know, just using using the uh, biblical Hebrew. We also didn't change our clothing. It's a fascinating concept. Is lavush. It's because we think like, why does it? Why is clothing something that's so important? And as we got into a little bit in the Hilchas Shabbos class about Shabbos clothing and what clothing really does for a person, the Kohen Gadol had to wear unique clothing. It really brings um, it brings prominence and it brings um, standards to a person themselves and to the office that they occupy, which is Judaism. Um, and we wouldn't change our clothing. There was, a, there was a Jewish way of dress. Now, interestingly, it doesn't tell us what that is. That tells us what that is. It doesn't need to be a specific, a specific mode of dress. There was a, uh, a member of the Haskalah uh, movement who came to Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. He was like second generation from the Baal Shem Tev. And um, this, this uh, member of the Ascala was walking around dressed like the way the Gentiles of the times dressed. And, you know, especially back then, the Jews and Gentiles really, uh, they had different modes of dress completely. Um, and he came to Rav Sechabun came to the Rebbe, and he says, um, Rebbe didn't even say anything to him, but he, you know, he had this conscience, and he says... Rabbi, I know you don't like the way I'm dressed, but let me ask you a question. What clothing do you think Avram Avinu wore? Okay, so what was his intention? His t- intention was is that you don't either dress like Avram Avinu, so stop judging me. And nobody ever said he's judging him. People assume they're, you know, people assume they're being judged. That's how it is. That's how it is. So he says, Rabbi, you know, don't worry about how I dress. You don't, you don't either look like Avram Avinu. So... Rav smiled and he said, you know, I don't know exactly what, I, I don't know what clothing I'm going to wore, that's the truth. The one thing I do know is that whatever the Gentiles around him wore, he wore the opposite. That's all I know. He was the every. He just made sure that people knew he was Jewish. He, he made sure. He made sure that he carried himself in the, do I know exactly what it was? It doesn't matter exactly what it was. It depends on the culture, on the society. You look back at the pictures that they have of the people in the midbar. They had robes. They had this. They had that. Yeah, no. Huh? Okay, so it is societal, and the Torah is meant keeping the the parameters of halacha. 
Now, we're, you, know, you don't need to look like a Meshuggah. You're not supposed to look like a Meshuggah, just the opposite. This is a fascinating, I hope we could articulate this well. It's a fascinating expectation that halacha has of us in our dress. means we're always supposed to walk modestly with God, which means as we're being with God, we need to be modest. So there's parameters of halacha, keep that. But within that parameters, don't present yourself in a way that is so noticeable that everybody's staring. Don't do that. Don't be so modest that you're no longer modest. Some people, they're like, they're so, you look like, whoa, that's very strange. It's very strange. Okay? Some people look at us like, okay, strange, you're wearing, uh, you know, uh, longer clothing in the summer, we wore it. Okay, so there's parameters of halacha. But that's why we also find that the mode of dress within the Torah community also changes. The way we dress now is not the way it was 40 years ago, it's not the way it was 80 years ago, it's not the way it was 150 years ago. We don't have to look exactly like they were now because, again, we stay modest within the realms of halacha. But we're also, a part of that is within the parameters of halacha to not, not draw some random attention. So if I were to walk down the street with a long robe and a turban on my head, that would, that would not be vatsnei alecha simul like yacha. That's not called, it's not called being modest. Yeah? Can you work the other way too? Like, I'm a, I always wear colorful clothing. Some people don't wear colorful clothing. So am I drawing attention to myself because I'm wearing colors? And is that wrong? If it's a type of thing that's not unusual, <clears throat> then you're not drawing attention to yourself. It's not unusual. In the, in the Orthodox community, it is. Really? Well, in the... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I'll, I'll tell you what happened after my first date. <laughs> I came home, and my mother remembers this, and my wife remembers it now. Um, apparently, women get all dressed up for dates. I just have that one suit and white white shirt. Um, so I came back, and my mother's like, so what'd she look like? And I said, she looked like she was on her way to a funeral. <laughs> So he said, why? I said, she's, I just, she's like all black. Everything's black. Everything's black. I didn't mean it negatively. But like as a guy, I, I'm, I didn't notice like the style, whatever. Like I still don't remember exactly what it was. I just remember like what I saw was just black. Like it was black. That's it. It was black. So like the next day, so my mother told, told her this. The next day she made her not to wear black. I didn't notice that either. It was like, it was just black. But she remembers it. Uh, okay, Menachem notices when it's all black. <laughs> like I don't, I don't. It's just my mother asked me what she looked like. And I said she's wearing all black. That's what that's what I thought of when she asked me what my wife looked like. She's all black. I don't know. Nice person to wear black. There's no mitzvah to wear black. Yeah, it's whatever, whatever works. But you know, to to, to that's why tznius is more about the. It's more about the the carry. Than the thing. It's more about the carry than, than the thing. It's not about the colors. It's not about... Because it's not, it's not the idea. It's not the idea. Yeah. So, some trauma, some not trauma, but just addictions. And to... You find that... You find that... In a, it's, a, it's a very interesting concept in the Chassid the Shesvarim, um, about, you know, when we have a mitzvah to think every day about the redemption of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. To envision ourselves like we are part of Mitzrayim doesn't mean like I literally walked out of Egypt 
Or does it mean that I'm on that journey that B'nai Yisrael were on? Just in a different realm. I'm in Golis too. And I have, I'm in servitude to other things besides Favaro. But, and it may not be sometimes a, a physical servitude. It could be, you know, emotional, it could be spiritual. And we really need to walk in lockstep with HaKadosh Baruch Hu holding our hand to get us out of that. So at the very root of Mitzrayim, like we discussed in Tefillah, the very root of Mitzrayim is the narrow place that we're coming from. So in that sense, yes. In that sense, yes. I have seen, I have seen uh, such a, uh, I have seen such a concept. It, 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 it's not meant to remove the literal removal either of us leaving Mitzrayim. It's not, we're supposed to remember that as well, that that's what we're doing here and what Mitzrayim did for us to build us up as a people and the Yeshua Hashem Keharifayim and the fact that that you know, any situation that we're in, in a blink of an eye, things can change. And that thing that brings about change is already in existence. It's already here. Just, it's, uh, you know, we don't know when and where it's, uh, it's going to come from. But, you know, this, there's a cartoon of somebody, somebody fishing. And next to the fishing rod, it's an Israeli cartoon. Next to the fishing rod, it says, Hishtadlis. And then on the other side of the dock, there's like a fish jumping into her bucket, his bucket, you know. And, uh, you know, and it's uh, like, this is how it gets done, right? It's like, I'm making my this here, but I'm trying to fish over here. I don't know. But somehow, like, you know, by me doing this, something's going to happen somewhere else. That's, that's, that's how it works. So, yeah, in, in that sense, we do, um, we do have this element of uh, leaving Mitzrayim inside all of us. Okay. Fine. So, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to B'nai Yisrael, they did not listen to Moshe. Why not? Didn't listen to Moshe because they were of uh, hard work and it was, uh, you know, the shortness of breath, which means we were busy and we didn't have time to, uh, to focus in on this. I saw such a uh, beautiful concept from Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzera. And he brings down something that I, 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 I just sat and I contemplated this for well over an hour. I was like, wow, I just need to think about this. I, I need to like, um, I, I need to like let this settle in and, and see how I personally like will, will gain from this concept and where, where I fit into it, where I fit in. To, to this idea. Um, Moshe was concerned that B'nai Yisrael weren't going to listen to him initially at the bush. Right? He's concerned here Paro's not going to listen to him either. At the bush, was, uh, Sashem gives him a few signs. He gives him a few signs. That this way he'll show, you know, th- this way he'll, uh, you know, everybody will know and, and Moshe himself will know that B'nai Yisrael will actually listen to him. Okay? So it's coming off of that conversation. So what was, what was happening? So Moshe knew that B'nai Yisrael are stubborn people. He knew that we're, we're tough. We're, we're not easy to convince, so we're not easy to push over. HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the bush, when Moshe was hesitant, told Moshe, you're making a mistake. 
It, the, the reason why they're not going to listen to you is not because they're an Amkshay Arif. It's not because they're stubborn people. Listen to this. It says, Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzira, he says, the reason why B'nai Yisrael are so stiff-necked and stubborn and hard to convince is because, if you look at the words Pesukim over there, it's because Hashem tells them they're, they're, they're stiff-necked Be'eretz lo lahem in a land that's not theirs. They're in Mitzrayim. And, and they're not in their element. They're not in their element. It's an Eretz lo lahem. And whenever a person is in a place that they don't feel is theirs, it could cause, um, it, it could cause a, a very strong impediment to connecting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to growth. You have to, you have to, you have to be comfortable in, in that setting and in that environment. So the three signs that Hashem gave Maishu Rabbeinu, interestingly, were all things that have to do, says Rabbi Bukhatsira, with things that are out of their element. For example, first thing he tells Maishu, he says, take your staff. Usually the staff is in your hand. Once you throw it away, it turns into a snake. Once it's in a, once it's in a place that it doesn't belong, so it looks like a snake. Now you take it back into your hand, it's a staff again. So it says Rabbi Bukhatsira, he says that, um, Hashem's showing Maisha Rabbeinu that you think it's a snake, but that's just because, and they look like a snake, and you're too, but that's because it, it, it's that, just hold on, and if it's where it would belong, which is with the opportunity to connect with our source, and to be in Eretz Yisrael, which represents spirituality, then you wouldn't be speaking negatively about them. You just have to realize this is how we, we are made. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu has him take his hand and, and uh, his hand gets, gets tzaras. When Moshe Rabbeinu's hand is in its natural place, the tzaras goes away. When he, when he puts in his kisai, when he puts his laps, then he receives tzaras. And then you have the, yeah, by the water and so on and so forth. Everything when it's out of its element becomes a problem. Once it goes back into its element, is, it's safe and it works and it's smooth and it flows. So he says like this, I'll read it to you in, in, in Hebrew. Here's his message, this is beautiful. He says, Ubezos, and with this, Yivchan Ha'adam. This is how we can test ourselves. You know how we test ourselves? Like, where we are, who, who am I? He says, beautiful. Heichan hu margish ben bias. Where do I feel at home? Where do I feel at home? Mahu ha'makam which teaches me what's my place. What, what's my place? Adam shemargish tov, a person who feels good in things like in, in things that are what he calls olam hazadika places. Yeah, so you feel like you walk into a good club with like blaring music and people, you know, bouncing around, or whatever. And they go, oh, it's my place. <laughs> my place. Now, listen, for some people, right? So that's how, that's a sign that you're not just a person who does this, you're now a person who is this. And there's a difference. Some people will go to a club. Some people will go to... And it doesn't need to be something that's terrible. It doesn't need to be a terrible. It could be something that... Uh, it could be a restaurant, a kosher restaurant. Right? You're walking you're like, oh, it's my place, my place. <laughs> it's just that. Okay, so now realize it. Or, or some people walk in, you're like, oh, this is a nice place, and I'll enjoy it. Enjoy it. I'm just enjoying it while I'm here, but it's... It's not like I'm a Ben Bias. I don't, it's not like 
I, you know, like I'm so comfortable and I'm home because, okay, so now I'm a foodie. I'm a foodie. And that's fine too, as long as you, that doesn't become your priority in life. You can't, right? We don't live to eat. And what's going to happen is that let's say you're somebody who's involved in the Torah life, but you do this, okay, so you're connected, but you don't feel it's you. You don't feel it's me. There's something I do. It's incredible. A person who feels at home in a place of godliness. Place of Torah. I walk into a base medrash. I walk into a shul. I walk into a get together with other Jews to build relationships and to spend time. And like this is, you know, this is it's just beautiful. Just Jews being together and 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 conversing and developing. And it's like this is this is just like this is like I hope this never ends. You know, this is this is my place. The gam kishuhu ba'asokov avedos who misgeil lizman alimud bebeis hamedrash. There's more than a thousand witnesses that my essence my essence is in this place. That's my essence. I, I, I love, I, I just, and it doesn't need to be a place. It could be a thing. It could be something we do. Something we do. Whatever it is. It could be a, a, a conversation with somebody. It could be a little bit of a class. It could be a, going to a specific davening or tefillah, whatever. There's certain things like I wait for that. I like that. Like I'm comfortable that. I, like it kind of anchors me. It makes me... It says, even if you don't show up every day, even if you don't show up every week, even if you don't show up, that's my, it's, you know, it's my place. It's my place. It's my house. It's where, it's where I'm comfortable. Such a beautiful concept. And I, like I, I sat down, I was trying to think about things in my life. Things in my life. What do I do? And what defines me? Like, what do I do? You know, and this, some, sometimes we, we, we don't know, per se. But it's worthwhile being aware of this, of this concept and then noticing it, like, as we go through various things in life. Like, is this, you know, because it really allows us, um, says Rabbi Yaakov, Abu, Ab, his name, I, I say Abu Chatzera, like uh, Ashkenazi. I know, it's <laughs> Abu Chatzera or something, you know, <laughs> you've got to say it appropriately. But he says, it's such a beautiful idea. Beautiful idea. And this is what Akkadish Baruch was telling Maisha Rabbeinu. He says, Maisha, stop looking at them by what they do. They're stiff-necked. You can't call them stiff-necked. That's not true. They're not in their element. It doesn't define them. Look at them when they're in their element. Look at where they are when they're... And we find this in daily with our midos. When we feel in our element and things are clicking and they're good and I'm in my comfort zone... I, I, it, it's much harder to aggravate me. It's much harder for me to, to, whatever it is, to have a quicker mouth, to speak lush and hara, so on and so forth. When we feel, when we're in something that's like, we're kind of, we, it's our area of security and we're comfortable in this place and this, it's good. There's much less chance that we're going to, uh, that, that we're, we're going to sin because that only comes once we leave that element. Once you leave element, you're no longer there, and that's really pretty much every time when when uh, we make a mistake or you know do something that's that we didn't really want to do. That's when it uh, that's when it really kicks in. So it's a it's a beautiful concept to be aware of. Okay. Pasuk yud. Let's get a little bit more. A little bit more. Vayidaber Hashem Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, 
Bo, come speak to Paramelech Batshayim. Last year we had a fascinating conversation. I still don't have a grasp, but we had a few beautiful thoughts that we had here. And I was preparing. I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, you know, I got a little more clarity. But if you recall, I asked, the conversation we had was, why by Avram does Hashem say, Lech Lecha, go for yourself? And here Hashem tells Moshe, Bo, come to Paro. If God, if Bo means to come with me and Lech means to go, this was the question that we asked. So when Hashem tells Avram Lech Lecha, he should have said, Bo, come with me because I'll be with you. And if you could use the word Lech Lecha meaning to go, even if God's with you, so why doesn't Hashem tell Moshe to go to Paro's palace? So we had, I'm just bringing that out there again. Um, but uh, we had a, uh, I just threw it out as a question and a few people here came up with some... Uh, 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 fascinating answers, but more, more food for thought for this year. If anybody uh, has, has some further clarity, now we're a year smarter. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? Bo Dabra Paramelech Mitzrayim. Come and speak to Par the King of Mitzrayim. Vishalach Esbenei And tell Parai he must send Klal Yisrael out of the land. This is incredible how HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself tells Maishu Rabbeinu that he, he's referring to Paro as a king. Go to Paro, who's the king of Mitzrayim. Now, he's not going to be king for much longer. He's got a max 12 months left. It's what they call the lame duck. Mm-hmm. Paro's a lame duck. Is that, and it's, it's, if you think about it, Hashem certainly knows it, and Maisha knows it, and Aaron knows it, and B'nai Yisrael have started knowing it too. The only one who can't really, you know, which is classic. The only one who doesn't realize that, that, that they've got two feet out the door is the one who has two feet out the door. And... You know, they're not going out unless you carry them on a stretcher. The one, the one who is, is kicking and screaming here and not realizing it is Paro. And still, because he's in the position, Hashem refers to Paro as king of Mitzrayim. That's a, that's, we're still giving him titles. Vishalach es B'nai Yisrael me'artzai. And tell him that he should send B'nai Yisrael out of the land. Now this is also, Vishalach is the beauty of the Hebrew language. Vishalach is... It's like his last chance to send them out. Otherwise, we're just going out. Otherwise, we're going out. We're leading. We need Paro to send us out. We don't need Paro to send us out. Hashem telling Moshe, tell Paro, this is, this, is like, I'm get, this is like, you know, his last opportunity to actually send. We're not staying. We're not staying. We're going to leave. The question is whether Paro is going to have a hand in us leaving or not. If he lets us go, so to speak, we, have, we say Paro represents the Sahara and a lot of things that go on in, in our lives. There's things that are going to happen. The Rebbe decided it's going to happen. And we're, we kind of like hold on. Like, no, you know, it's going to happen. Like it or not. In an extreme case, which hopefully is nothing to do with us. But you have people who are like against Torah. People are against Torah. They make it their mission. They're going to they're gonna make sure this Torah school, this organization, this thing, we're going to make sure that you know, they fold. We're going to make sure they fold. Huh? Yeah. It's not happening. Why is it not happening? Because the Arum, the Ark, the Torah, carries those who carry it. We don't carry the Torah. It doesn't, the Torah doesn't need us to carry it. It's a zechus, it's a merit to be the one holding on to the Torah. Right, so the same way the ark, the levium held on, and they got reward for that respect of holding on, and everybody thought they're carrying the ark, but they're not carrying the ark. The ark is really going by itself. 
That's how it works with legitimate Torah. It's going to happen. It's going to keep going. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, as there, there's a well-known quote in the Heimischer world. And in Yiddish, it sounds much better. Everything sounds better in Yiddish mm-hmm. uh, for, for some reason. The, the, but the, it's, a, it's a true, it's a true uh, reality. And it's, the, what it is, is that no yeshiva closes because of a lack of money. Yeshiva's closed because of machlokas. And that's a fact. It's a fact. Yeshivas don't just shut their doors because there's not enough money to support it. Ultimately, every yeshiva struggles. Right? You've got to get the money. It's a schus to hold on to. But when you, when, when you have organizations that close down and they don't make it, it's always because there's other issues going on that has to do with the opposite. Things don't fold. The Torah carries itself. That's the... We don't, God carries himself. He's got a big enough bank account. He's got enough stuff. But it, it's we who cause the destruction. It's the people who get in the way of everything that ultimately, uh, you know, ultimately causes other things to, uh, other things to fall. So you have a machalikis in the community. Okay. So that organization, because of machalikis, has to, uh, you know, be all, no, it's, it's because, and this is what's happening over here as well with Maisha and Parah. Hashem tells Maisha, Tell Paro, this is his chance, Vishalach. Because otherwise, it's like, why are we calling Paro sending us out? You're not sending us out. God's taking us out. You're not, not Vishalach. Paro sent us out of Egypt? What, are you joking me? We twisted his arm till he said, uncle, 11 times. And every time you release, no. You're not my favorite uncle. You're not. <laughs> you're not. As soon as you release, no, I'm back to what I wanted. Mama, says how it is. It says, Vishalach has been <laughs> You, you want it to be considered like you're sending us out? Here's your chance. Here's your chance. Fascinating Kavachomer. Kavachomer Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, how in the world do you expect power to listen to me? The Jewish people who I'm here to benefit have a tough time listening to me. And now you think that, uh, now you think that power is going to listen to me? It's a good question. Except what's the obvious, what we call the upslug? What's the refute? On this Kabbalah Homer. Why didn't B'nai Yisrael listen? Because they weren't thinking. Paro wasn't in servitude. He had all the time in the world. So Maisha knows the reason why B'nai Yisrael didn't listen. So if there's no reason. So we say listen. If the B'nai Yisrael aren't going to listen. How could Paro listen? But if there's a reason why B'nai Yisrael isn't listening. Understand the question. Right? Paro is not in servitude. So maybe he will listen. Despite the fact that. That uh, B'nai Yisrael doesn't. It's a good question. Any answers? It's a fan, it's called what they call a world question, a Velps question. Hashem softens his heart and hardens his heart. Not, not the first five. I think it's five. But the the even with the softening and hardening of the heart, even with the softening and hardening of the heart, it didn't mean. See, let me ask you a question. It's, the sages teach us that the hearts of the kings are in the hands of Hashem. So God controls the big, when a person is appointed to a big position, they think, oh, I have so much power now. So much power. You actually, you just lost like 90% of your ability because God just took all of it. And uh, I'm not a big uh, politics guy, but I keep up every once in a while. I try to keep tabs on the news uh, 
about once a week or once every two weeks, and I find the world still hasn't ended, even though I don't know daily what's happening. Uh, no big chidushim. I just somehow find out the same thing a little bit later. Um, but um, it's incredible how um, uh, President Trump, President Trump, when he was a president, did incredible things for Claudia Israel. Incredible things for Claudia Ever since he stopped like having any power, the stupidity and the lunacy, like what happened? You know what? He wasn't running. He wasn't running the country. And he, you could say when he was a president, listen, they all, they all, but that was the Adashem. The Adashem. The Himalachim, the Adashem. And our current president as well. People give our presidents way too much credit. They put all the blame on them. They put all the credit to them. No. They don't get all the credit. No, they don't get all the blame. Now, do they still have Bechira? To an extent, they're held accountable, whatever that is. I don't know, you know how that, the, the limit is. But they have a lot less Bechira than any of us have over here. So getting back to the question about Paro is... Hashem hardening his heart, softening his heart. It's true that Hashem was controlled. At the same time, we're holding Paro accountable for decisions that he made, even with the earlier plagues. Even with the earlier plagues, we're still holding him accountable for upon release of the pressure. Right? And that's really what the Makhlus are. People are like, oh, God took away Paro's Bechira. And then, think about it. If, if, you, if you say to me, uh, give me uh, $50. I'm like, no, I'm not you $50. Give me fifty dollars. Uh, so you twist my arm behind my back, right? And you're like, give me fifty bucks. Yeah. At a certain point, it's worth it for me to give you fifty dollars. Certain point is worth it. The moment you let go of the pressure, it's like I'm not giving you fifty dollars. <laughs> what are you talking about? Fifty dollars with sugar, right? And that's, that's kind of like what, ha- what was happening with Pyro and the plagues. Pyro's like, no, they're not going. And God's like, you sure? You sure? You sure? The plague, the blood, Makas Dam. And then, and then uh, uh, fine, pray for me. Fine, okay, so we got rid of the plague. Paro's right back to being the original Paro. Pressure is released, and now, by Hashem removing that pressure, so now he's, he's going back to what he ultimately wanted. It was supposed to be this, but in, at, to, the, at, to the same extent, they're, held, they're still held uh, uh, accountable. That's where, that's where Paro is. Um, I think that answers. Uh, I think that answered uh, the question. Okay. So, but any other answers to this kavuchaimer? This, uh, this is a good question to end with. And by the way, there's something very gishmak about a, a question. Nothing wrong with not giving an answer. I've seen some answers. I haven't seen any answers that like, you know, that are better than the question. So I enjoyed the question. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I learned one time is that the that. It would have taken away his will if he hadn't hardened his heart somehow. Like it was kind of easy. You needed to, to balance out. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. True. Now, uh, p- part of part of hardening his heart has to do with the the willingness to believe in the singular power, like we discussed in what Paro was. Paro did believe, clearly believe, that there was Hashem. He didn't believe in the totality of Hashem's power. But he, he clearly knew that there's a God of the, you know, Israelites. He knew that throughout his, you know, um, but that there's literally nothing else. Enoid Mavada, you know, that there's nothing else in existence. That is, that is how his heart was hardened. 
And that's the Torah is giving us this message as well. We have the hardness of the heart too when, when things happen.